looking at the first segment, which is the history of the Quran. Firstly, Muslims and non-Muslims both know that the Quran was memorized in the lifetime of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Now, non-Muslims would see this as a compilation of the Prophet of Islam, Sayyiduna Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, that he himself wrote down what he claimed to be revelation. And Muslims would believe that this was actual revelation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But we know that the memorization and writing down of the Quran took place in the lifetime of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. How many examples of this do we find in the prophetic biography or in the narrations from the Holy Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam? There are numerous narrations which mention this, that when the Quran was being revealed, the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam would order the companions to write down what had been revealed. And he would say to them, write down the verses that were revealed in the summertime along with the verses that were revealed in the wintertime relating to the verses on inheritance laws in Surah An-Nisa. So the companions would know that certain verses were revealed at a specific time or a specific place and therefore later scholars categorized verses and chapters of the Quran as being Makki or Madani, meaning they were revealed in, uh, in Makkah al-Mukarramah or in al-Madinah al-Munawwara. So they would categorize the chapters as being Makki or Madani. And also, they would be ordered to memorize the Quran. So whenever we find a narration which states, مَا جَمَعَ الْقُرْآنِ which would mean no one gathered the Quran except such and such and such and such and such and such. What did this mean? This did not refer to the actual writing down of the Quran. It meant memorization of the Quran. And when the companions wanted to point out that certain people are excellent memorizers of the Quran or proficient in memorizing the Quran, they would specify specific masters who had attained mastership of memorization of the Quran, they were not limiting the memorization to four or three individuals. The memorizers of the Quran were so many in that time that at one, in one incident, the Messenger of Allah sent over 70 companions who were referred to as the memorizers of the Quran to an area in Najd, which is Eastern, Eastern Arabian Peninsula and they were slaughtered through treachery because someone had promised them a safe passage and an entry into the Najd area in order to preach Islam but the person committed treachery and had them all slaughtered except one. That person then went back and reported what happened uh, from those tribes and the Messenger of Allah supplicated against them for over 30 days, a well-known incident. But the point to note is that over 70 memorizers of the Quran were slaughtered. So they were referred to as memorizers because the Quran had been memorized by dozens 
and hundreds of people in the lifetime of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. This is why the concept of mass memorization is known as tawatur, mass transmission. That if you have a congregation of people, their number is so much or so many that you cannot term them as being each individual or all of them congregating to, in order to concoct a lie. It would be impossible for them to do so. Such a concept, concept is known as tawatur, mass transmission. So, so many people had memorized the Quran in the lifetime of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and the Quran itself was written down by those same people who had memorized the Quran. So there was the writing of the Quran in the lifetime of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam on flat bones, they would get the, the shoulder blade of an animal and write down verses because shoulder blades of animals were used as writing material or they would get the bark of a tree and they would write down the verses on the bark of a tree or they would get flat slates flat white slates and they would write down the verses written uh, they would write the verses down upon those flat white slates and they would memorize the Quran some of the companions Ali Muridwan would have their own personal copies of the Quran which they had written down themselves and so many of them had memorized the Quran if not the entire community every individual had memorized portions of the Quran so there were thousands of people who had memorized the entire Quran but there were people also who had not memorized the entire Quran but they had memorized vast portions of the Quran or small segments of the Quran that the entire Muslim community was familiar with the verses of the Quran. This was how the compilation of the Quran transpired in the lifetime of the Messenger of Allah over a period of 23 years. Of course, there are specific incidents that people may cite or specific events that they may cite and may have questions regarding but we swiftly move on to the second period which is after the passing away of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam there was the compilation of Abu Bakr Siddiq Radiallahu Anhu the first Caliph and there was the compilation of Sayyiduna Uthman Radiallahu Anhu the third Caliph what did these compilations of the Quran consist of if the Quran was memorized and written down in the lifetime of the Messenger of Allah وسلم, why did the state compile a written copy of the Quran in the Caliphate of Abu Bakr Siddiq and the Caliphate of Sayyiduna Uthman anhum. first we look at the Caliphate of Sayyiduna Uthman Sayyiduna Abu Bakr Siddiq after the passing away of the Messenger of Allah وسلم, the companions gave the oath of allegiance to Abu Bakr Siddiq regarding leadership. So he became the leader of the Muslim community. During this time, there were tribes amongst the Arabs who refused to give the zakat, which is the charity, to the Khalifa. Now, 
Did Abu Bakr Siddiq wage war against those people for refusing to give the money or was it based upon the apostasy of those individuals? The war was based upon apostasy and the underlying reason for not giving the charity was apostasy. It, it was not uh, the refusal to give the charity to the Khalifa alone. It was also the apost apost uh, apostasy of those Arab tribes. They had an individual known as Musaylama al-Kadhab who claimed prophecy and attempted to imitate the Quran when captives were brought to Sayyiduna Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu He said to them, recite this uh, uh, revelation that Musaylama is claiming when, he re when they recited what Musaylama was claiming to be a revelation from Allah, the Arabs and Sayyiduna Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu an laughed at the, at the speech which was concocted by Musaylama. Now this speech which Musaylama made himself was preserved by historians. You can find segments of the lines which Musaylama claimed to imitate the Quran and to this day 1400 years later even modern historians would find it imbecilic for anyone to compare what Musaylama had concocted with Al-Quranul Karim. Nevertheless in that battle, the battle of Mu'tah as uh, the uh, Harbul Ridda, the wars of uh, uh, apostasy which took place. In the, the wars of Ridda, numerous companions were martyred. So a companion of the Messenger of Allah وسلم, said to Sayyiduna Umar ibn al-Khattab that numerous companions have been martyred in these battles and they were memorizers of the Qur'an and they had witnessed the revelation of the Qur'an <coughs> it would be incumbent upon us to compile an official state copy of the Qur'an so Sayyiduna Umar mentioned this to Sayyiduna Abu Bakr Siddiq Sayyiduna Abu Bakr Siddiq at first was apprehensive. He said, I will not do anything which the Messenger of Allah did not do. What does this mean? Because some people attempt to say this means that the Quran was not written down. But as we know through multiple sources and proof texts, we find that the Qur'an had been written down in the lifetime of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So what did Sayyiduna Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu an mean? What he meant was compiling the entire Qur'an in one volume. Even though in the lifetime of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam the Qur'an had been written down, the writing of the Quran was fragmented meaning one revelation would be sent down and a portion of the Quran would be written memorized and then copied by others then memorized on a grand scale then a second segment would be revealed 
written down and memorized and recopied on a grand scale. A third revelation, a fourth revelation, like this the entire Quran was written down but in the caliphate of Sayyiduna Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu an, Sayyiduna Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu an wanted to compile the entire Quran between two covers. So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala opened his heart to this task, he met or he called Sayyiduna Zayd bin Thabit radiallahu an, who was from the Ansar from the residents of Al-Madinatul Munawwara, the original residents. And Zayd bin Thabit was from the younger companions. The reason why he was called was because he was one of the most energetic people for this task. He was so intelligent that he had learned the Hebrew language in, within a few weeks. This is how intelligent he was. And he had memorized the entire Quran. So when Zayd bin Thabit was tasked with this, what his task was is to compile the entire Quran with the two original witnesses who had seen the revelation of that verse. So the meaning of this is not that they did not know uh, those verses as some orientalists may attempt to say the meaning of this is that he would f note down the first verse of the Quran and then he would find the two original two uh, minimum number of two original witnesses who had witnessed the actual revelation of that verse now sometimes what the orientalists do is they find a narration which mentions a verse from Surah Al-Ahzab where Sayyiduna Zayd bin Thabit states that he could not find two witnesses regarding that verse and he only found one companion whose witnessing is counted as the witnessing of two men. So they attempt to say this shows a deficiency in the compilation of the Quran. How do we answer this? We answer this by saying this condition of two witnesses was a condition of Sayyiduna Zayd bin Thabit and the committee of, that compiled the Quran but does not contradict in any way or form the fact that the Quran is free from any type of tampering. How? Because the entire Quran was revealed and memorized in the lifetime of the Messenger of Allah So the multiple companions who had memorized the Quran in the lifetime of the Messenger of Allah even if they had not witnessed the revelation of a particular verse, they had memorized those verses within the lifetime of the Messenger of Allah the stringent condition of Zayd bin Thabit just meant finding at least two people who had witnessed the revelation of that verse. But in any way or form, this does not contradict uh, the veracity of the Quran because within the lifetime of the Messenger of Allah there were multiple people who had memorized those very same verses in the presence of the Messenger of Allah and in the presence of one another reciting the Qur'an to one another 
and we know that the Quran is recited every year in Taraweeh prayer for over 1400 years recited on a yearly basis that even if the best reciters led the people in prayer and made a mistake anyone in the audience would be permitted to correct that reciter regarding that mistake so this is something that has been going on through mass transmission for hundreds of years so when Sayyiduna Zayd bin Thabit radiallahu an looked for two witnesses for each verse of the Quran this does not mean those verses were unknown to people or when he would say I looked for this verse and I did not find this verse except with such and such person what does he mean by this he does not mean that he was unfamiliar of those verses because he would not know what to look for in the first place he was familiar of the verse he had memorized the verse what he was looking for was was the original witnesses who had observed the actual revelation of the verse upon the messenger of Allah and were ordered to write down the verse the number of writers of the Quran add up to over 40 companions of the messenger of Allah over 40 companions who were the writers uh, who the Messenger of Allah وسلم, would order to write down the verses of the Quran. Uh, Al Imam Zainuddin Abdul Rahim al Iraqi, the teacher of Al Hafiz ibn Hajar al Asqalani, mentions uh, the names of over 40 companions who had written down the Quran. So, this is the meaning of the narration of Zayd bin Thabit, which is found in the Sahih of Al Imam Bukhari, when he would say, I attempted to look for this verse but I did not find this verse except with such and such person after the Quran had been compiled does this mean the Quran was not written and recorded by other companions of the Messenger of Allah the answer would be that it does not mean that the Quran was not compiled by other companions because we know Multiple companions had their own personal copies. Sayyiduna Abdullah bin Mas'ud radiallahu anh had his own personal copy. Sayyiduna Ali radiallahu anh had his own personal copy. And so many other different companions like Sayyiduna Ubay bin Ka'ab and multiple others. And so many of them had actually memorized the Quran. Many of them had memorized the entire Quran. When Sayyiduna Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu an passed away, this copy of the Quran which was compiled in the lifetime of Sayyiduna Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu an passed down to Sayyiduna Umar radiallahu an, who ruled for 10 years. After he passed away, in the first six years of the Caliphate of Sayyiduna Uthman radiallahu an, he compiled the official copy of the Quran again but some people do not understand why did Sayyiduna Uthman an have the need to make an official copy from the state for people to copy from the reason for this is different to the reason of the compilation of Sayyiduna Abu Bakr Siddiq an. the reason is that there were many people who had accepted Islam and they were non-Arabs 
they grew up learning the Quran, uh, the new generation amongst them, and the old generation, being non-Arabs, would have to learn the Quran. They start to compile their own written copies because there was no limitation upon people to write down the Quran. So they started to write down the Quran, the wordings of the Quran, however they wanted to. Meaning, if they this the spelling of the Quran, they would make the spelling of the words in the way that they wanted to spell. So if if we found the word Maliki Yawmiddin with Meme, Alif, Lam and Kaf, they would write down uh, the, wo- the word should be written with Meme, Lam and Kaf. But they would write down the word with Meme, Alif, Lam and Kaf. Or whatever style of writing that they chose. Meaning the orthography of the Quran was to be preserved. So a war took place in Azerbaijan, in that which is near within Asia, Central Asia, and some of the groups started to dispute regarding the Quran because of the way they were taught the Quran, either due to the qiraat or to due to the way that they had compiled and written down their copies of the Quran. When this occurred and Sayyiduna Uthman radiallahu an was informed of this, Sayyiduna Uthman radiallahu an said and gave the order that the Quran should be written down the way that in accordance with the Lughatu Quraysh, which is the language of Quraysh, that according to the dialect of, uh, dialect of Quraysh, the Quran should be written down, meaning the orthography of the Quran should be in accordance with the dialect of, of Quraysh. Why? Because the Messenger of Allah sallallahu wasallam was Qurayshi and the purest Arabic was the, the Arabic of the people of Mecca al-Mukarramah who were the Quraysh. So when Sayyidina Uthman radiallahu an had according to one narration five masahif uh, volumes written down according to another six, according to another seven, according to another eight. What was he doing? He was showing the people that when you write down and copy from, uh, when you write down the Quran, you must stick to the orthography written down here. Do not write down how you want to write down. A simple example of this would be when we write down the word kola in England, how do we write this word? C O L O U R. And how do they write this word in America? C-O-L-O-R So if someone compiled a book with American spelling and the same book was written with English spelling and then people started to dispute also pronunciation so you have the word zebra, how do Americans pronounce the word zebra? Zebra. You have the word tomato, how do the Americans they say tomato, so many other words this is just a simple example to make us understand what was actually happening. Sayyiduna Uthman radiallahu an ordered the people that you must follow one orthography of the Quran, which is the orthography of the Quraysh. And the recitation of the Quran must be done how the companions ridwan recite the Quran. So how the companions learned how to recite this book. So not only the volume of the Quran was being sent to the capital cities, the Quran was sent with a, a master reciter who had recited to the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. 
So they were ordered to, re to write any copies that they write down of the Quran, they must write them down according to the Quran sent by Sayyiduna Uthman radiallahu an. And they must recite in accordance with the recitation of the companion who was sent with the Mus'af, with the volume of the Quran. This is the meaning of the compilation of Sayyiduna Uthman radiallahu an. Some people cite by saying, is a site examples of where the other copies of the Quran were burnt but what would this mean what this means is that Sayyiduna Uthman radiallahu ordered those copies which people had written themselves in which they were mistaken in the orthography to, to be burnt it does not mean the actual Quran was burnt if we say the actual Quran itself was burnt then in, in effect the compilation of Sayyiduna Abu Bakr Siddiq would have been burnt also but this is not the case the compilation of Sayyiduna Abu Bakr Siddiq was kept by Sayyiduna Uthman later on it passed down to Sayyiduna Ali then it passed down to Sayyiduna Al-Hasan then it passed down to Sayyiduna Muawiyah so the, co the copy of the Qur'an which was written down by Sayyiduna Abu Bakr Siddiq was preserved and multiple companions had their own personal copies of the Qur'an which they would sometimes write down words on the side in order to explain uh, the words of the Qur'an so for instance one of the companions wrote on the side this does not mean it was a verse of the Quran. It means he was explaining, giving tafsir, commentary in his own personal copy. So sometimes what Orientalists do is that they cite narrations like this by saying there were companions who had additional wordings in the Quran. But how do we understand those narrations? Firstly, those narrations are khabrul ahad, meaning narrated by a singular person but what is the meaning of those narrations? Those narrations mean that those companions were writing down words in order to explain the particular meaning of the Qur'an. It does not mean that they were adding to the Qur'an. So like this, some people try confusing the, the Qira'at and Ahruf. Qira'at and Ahruf. The Ahruf are... The Messenger of Allah said that the Quran was revealed in seven ahruf, seven letters. What is the meaning of ahruf? The scholars differed so much that Imam Jalaluddin al-Suyuti in Al-Itqan fi Ulum al-Quran states that there are over 40 different statements of the scholars regarding what the actual ahruf are. The simplest explanation of that is ahruf is just in some words of the Quran the way they are recited a letter is added into the recitation so the example a simple example is the word maliki yawmiddin in one qira'ah you can recite as maliki yawmiddin in another qira'ah maliki yawmiddin it's just an addition letter added into the recitation or if you say the verse Bismillahi Majareha wa Mursaha. In Qira'atu Hafs, it is Bismillahi Majareha. 
In other qira'at, Bismillah majaraha, just the way it is pronounced. These ahruf were preserved, but they are different to the qira'at. Qira'at are the transmission of the Qur'an from the companions Ali Muridwan. So the companions Ali Muridwan, they related how the Qur'an should be recited, this is known as qira'at. Any differing that is found within the qira'at is due to the ahruf, but we will not say the ahruf and the qira'at are the same thing. They are not the same thing. The transmission of the Qur'an is known as qira'at. In fact, there are over seven qira'at. There are over seven qira'at. There are more than seven qira'at. The ahruf are something else. This distinction must be kept in mind. Yes, you can say that the differences within the qira'at are due to the ahruf. That is something else. But between the two, there is a difference. So some Orientalists sometimes try confusing Muslims by saying, look, you say the Quran and Christian uh, debaters attempt to confuse Muslims by saying, you Muslims say the Quran is one. Look, there are so many different types of Quran. So they will bring out the Mus'haf that's published, the volume of the Quran published in Morocco. Now, the first thing that will differ is the uh, khat. What is the khat? The calligraphy. So, the khat, which is uh, the Quran, which is published in Al Madinatul Munawwara. Uh, uh, firstly, in Al Madinatul Munawwara, the printing press publishes all the different types of qiraat. They do not only publish one, but the commonly published uh, volume of the Quran that they have, the khat is al khat al ruqai that the Quran is written in the, the calligraphy. So people are not familiar with this. If you, if you buy a Quran from India and Pakistan, they write the Quran in which calligraphy? In the Mughal, Khat Mughali, meaning Mughal uh, writing style. But ha, is that different to orthography? Yes, it is. The style of writing may be different, but the spelling is the same. The style of writing may be different, but the spelling is the same. So the word Maliki would be written with Meme, Lam and Kaf. But the style of writing the Meme and the Lam and the Kaf will be different. So if you buy a Quran in Senegal, in Africa, the, the Khat, the calligraphy is different. If you buy a Quran in India, Pakistan, the Khat is different. The Khat being different does not mean the Quran is different. The orthography, the spelling of the Quran is the same. So what they do sometimes is that they place on top of these words the diacritical marks which indicate a difference within the Qiraat. When they place those diacritical marks, these are the diacritical marks which the Christian debaters attempt to confuse Muslims with. There is a difference in your Qur'ans. But in reality, there is no difference. It is just the way some words are pronounced according to the Qira'at, which are the forms of recitation which are transmitted from the Messenger of Allah Like the example, Bismillahi majareha wa mursaha. In, if you buy the Qur'an from India and Pakistan, you will find on the side that they write bil imalati in the hafs, they write that on the side. 
meaning you recite it as Bismillahi Majareha wa Mursaha. But if you buy a Mus'haf or you open a Mus'haf from the other Qiraat, they will not have that writing on the side, they will not have the line, so you recite it as Bismillahi Majaraha wa Mursaha. Or the word Maliki Yawmiddin. If you look at the volume of the Quran in Morocco, you'll find it to be Maliki Yawmiddin, written as Maliki Yawmiddin. But if you look at the volume published in Saudi Arabia or in other countries, you'll find it with an alif at the top to show you it is recited as Maliki Yawmiddin. What is the greatest proof regarding what I am saying is correct is the fact that the Qiraat do not contradict one another. If the Quran was man-made, the Qiraat would contradict one another in meaning. There would be different meanings found in each Qiraat. If there are different meanings found, they do not contradict one another. There is no contradiction found in any one of those Qiraat. So this is something which Orientalists, Orientalists attempt to bring up regarding the Qiraat and the Ahruf. Where are the volumes of the Qur'an now? There are different volumes of the Qur'an that Sayyidina Uthman sent. There are different volumes which are found in different countries like in Russia and other places where people claim they are the original uh, volumes of the Qur'an sent by Sayyidina Uthman The most authentic recent copy of this was the copy found in the Grand Umayyad Masjid in Damascus. This copy was around until about a hundred years ago when there was a fire in the Grand Umayyad Masjid. The fire, then the fire burnt down the entire masjid and the copy was lost. But this was just around a hundred years ago. So there were eyewitnesses, people who witnessed the actual Mus'haf which was preserved, the volume which sent by Sayyidina Uthman to Damascus. Now these are some of the aspects regarding the history of the Quran which are brought up. There are other things which are brought up regarding the content of the Quran. That what the Quran contains as a message. So there may be someone who debates the, uh, the veracity of the Quran and they may say that the Quran, the history of the Quran, we agree the Quran has not been tampered with. Like some Orientalists may say this, but the message of the Quran is wrong. This, uh, this opposition to the Quran has, is multifaceted. They may start with saying there is tanaqut, meaning contradiction in the Quran, incoherence in the Quran. For this they may cite different verses of the Quran to say, look, the verses here mention one thing and verses elsewhere mention something else. This actually comes down to hermeneutics, how we approach and understand the Qur'an. How we read the Qur'an and understand the Qur'an. The main thing to understand regarding this is that the Qur'an has one subject. One crucial subject. That subject is calling humanity to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. This is the principle message of the Qur'an. Everything else which is mentioned in the Qur'an revolves around this one subject. So Qasasul Qur'an, stories found in the Qur'an, like Surah Yusuf Ali Salam, 
this story of Sayyidina Yusuf what is the purpose of the story? In order to call people back to Ubudiyah, meaning worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. So the subject matter of the Quran is one. Therefore the Quran when cited, when anyone cites any verse of the Quran, they must take each verse in context of another verse. This is different to the Bible. The Bible was compiled over a period of 2000 years, written by different authors. So Christians would say the author of the Quran is the Prophet. But they would also have to admit that the, the Bible that we have today has multiple authors. Now, both groups would claim that God inspired each book. But the compilers of the Bible were multiple people. So they were written in different periods of time. The Quran was compiled in one time. Therefore, the subject matter of the Quran is one. When the subject matter of the Quran is one, it is important imperative that people take each verse when citing one verse they must take that verse in context of another verse a second opposition to the Quran is regarding its beliefs so people may have a problem with monotheism Tawheed and may believe in Trinity or any other belief this uh, problem with the Quran does not come down to the Quran meaning people having a problem with the Quran is not down to the Quran it is down to their own beliefs that they have a problem with the Quran because of their beliefs it would not mean that there is any contradiction within the Quran this is where theology is formed debating non-muslims regarding the 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 authenticity of the beliefs found within the Quran a third problem which people have, some people have, is regarding ahkam al-Qur'an, legal rulings of the Qur'an. So they may say, yes, the history of the Qur'an, we believe. The belief in one God, in his divine attributes, we believe. But we have a problem regarding the legal rulings of the Qur'an. How do we deal with this subject? Firstly, we would say that this particular problem people have with the Quran comes down to acceptance of the Quran firstly if someone accepts the Quran as being the word of Allah they will have no problem with that with the legal rulings but many times we find that people misunderstand the legal rulings of Islam themselves example the thief and the thieving woman sever amputate their hands this now, this ruling is for rulers to apply within a context and within its parameters and its conditions. Otherwise, we know the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, La fil-ghazwi. The hands are not severed in battle. So this is a condition for hudud punishments. Or for instance, the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, Idra'ul hududa bishubuhat prevent the hudud, the corporate punishments with the doubts. So the, the judge is now told, if there is any doubt, do not apply the corporal punishments. Another simple example of this is inheritance laws. If a man dies, he leaves wealth, his daughter will inherit one third of his wealth and the son will inherit two thirds. 
Some people may claim from this legal ruling that there is no rights for the woman, when in fact, if the legal ruling is looked at in its true context, we will know that the reason why the man has been given double is because the man has responsibility to keep the maintenance of his family, upkeep of his family. The woman does not have this responsibility. The man must pay for his wife's expenses. The man must pay for the expenses of the children. The man must pay a dowry. The man must provide a house. The man must provide the needs of his wife and so on and so forth. So many within a social context, the man is given double inheritance of the woman. So whenever we look at any legal ruling of the Quran, it should be understood in its true context. Once a non-Muslim understands the legal ruling in its true context, most of the times their contention with the legal ruling of the Quran will fall apart. So they will move on to other things. For instance, they may mention names found in the Quran. They will say they contradict the names which are mentioned in the Bible. For instance, the Aziz mentioned in Surah to Yusuf, who was the, uh, the husband of Zulaikha. In the Bible, he is known as Potiphar. So some people, Christians will say, Look, in the Bible he is known as Potiphar and in the Quran he is known as Aziz. Is this a contradiction? Firstly, we would not take the Bible as a source in order to judge the Quran. Because Aziz, as every uh, person who has studied the Quran will tell you, is a title given to the husband of Zulaikha. His title was Aziz. And in the commentaries they mention why he was called Aziz. Aziz just means a noble man. His title was Aziz. Oh, another example given is Haman. Haman in the Old Testament is the chief architect for Nimrod. But in the Quran he is the chief architect for Fir'aun. So they will say, look, the Bible is saying Haman is the chief architect of Nimrod. And the Quran is saying he's the chief architect of Fir'aun. And then we know what Maurice Bukel wrote about this saying, claiming that uh, modern hieroglyphics have proven that the title of Haman was for the chief architect for the pharaohs. Now Christians disagree with him. In Christian apologetics they respond to this, disagreeing with Maurice Bukel's research. But those who claim that the Qur'an plagiarized from the Bible, if the Qur'an indeed was plagiarized from the Bible, they would, the Qur'an would have plagiarized the names. Then after this, the, another point that is mentioned, Ukhtu Harun. Ukhtu Harun, Ya Ukhtu Harun in Surah Maryam, where Sayyidah Maryam السلام, is referred to our sister of Aaron. Ya Ukhtu Harun. Now, this is a title given to Sayyidah Maryam السلام, not a, a, a conclusion of the Qur'an that Maryam is the sister of Harun the Prophet. It is a title given to her. Like in uh, Arabic, we have agnomens which uh, go by the name, for instance, Abu Fulan, Abu Fulan, Um Fulan. So she's addressed as being Ukht Harun. This is just a title given to her in the Quran. It is not saying it is the Harun. 
the Prophet Sayyidina Harun salam. So these are sometimes some things which are brought up uh, uh, amongst Muslims and non-Muslims. How a Muslim would respond to this, unfortunately, when it comes to polemics, even Muslims do not behave scholarly in their response and, and may misquote the Bible. For instance, in the book of Kings, addressing the Jews, the Jews are told that you shall eat excrement and cake. And Muslims tend to quote this and say, look, this is found in the Bible. But any Bible scholar will tell you this was referring to a curse to a sinful group that they were made to live in the wild and would burn their food on fire and using within the fire they would use excrement as fuel. So when they would use excrement of animals as fuel, the Bible mentions this by saying eat excrement and cake. But Muslims quote this passage without its true context. This is done by both groups. Muslims will also misquote the Bible. So whenever a theological debate regarding the contents of the Quran or the contents of the Bible is done, it must start from a logical basis. Meaning, what is the foundational belief, which is the belief in one God or Trinity. The only source that they can agree on is talking from reason and logic. When each group talks about the Quran or the Bible, they must quote the Quran with Siyaq and Sibaq, which is looking at its context, what comes before and what comes after. The same with the Bible. You must quote the Bible in its true context. So, a few examples of this before finishing. One uh, discussion which is common now is the Quran, the Bible and modern science. What people tend to do is they measure the Bible with science and they measure the Quran with science. And some Muslims will even present verses of the Quran in order to say that science confirms these verses of the Quran. What is our response to this? Our response would be that firstly we say that the Quran will never contradict empirical fact. Empirical fact, obs observational science can never be contradicted, Quran can ne never be contradicted by observational science. This is something which we say openly that if, if anything is found to be observational, <coughs> observed with the five senses, the Quran will never contradict this. Therefore, there can never be a clash between the Quran and science. Meaning true scientific fact, observational science, not uh, scientific theory. Therefore, the Muslims do not have a problem with science and the progression of science because there is no contradiction. But sometimes what can happen is people can misquote the Quran and the Hadith. Example of this. The work, uh, the Bible, the Quran and modern science, written by Dr. Maurice Bukel again, he, he examines verses of the Quran and he concludes that the Quran does not contradict science. But when examining the Hadith, 
He says the hadith can contradict science. Why does he conclude as such? Because he read the hadith that every day the sun performs sajda, prostration underneath the divine throne, the throne of Allah, and gains permission to rise. One day the sun will perform sajda under the throne and will not be given permission to rise from the east but will be told to rise from the west. So he states this contradicts observational science. Is in fact this a contradiction of science? The answer is no because he has misunderstood the very meaning of the hadith. When verses of the Quran or the hadith state inanimate objects perform sajda, this does not mean that they perform sajda like a human being. A human being places the forehead on the ground, the two hands on the ground, the two feet on the ground. No, sajda is performed for each object according to its physical makeup. How that object is made, it performs sajda which is only known to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Secondly, the arsh we know covers the seven heavens and the entire cosmos. So the sun is always under the arsh. It doesn't travel to the arsh and go underneath the arsh. It is always under the arsh. And the sun is always in prostration to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala seeking divine permission. So this is how a misunderstanding a hadith could make a person think that the hadith contradicts science. No, the problem is how we understand the particular hadith. Sometimes people bring up the hadith on embryology and they will say, some of the hadith on embryology contradict uh, modern embryology. How do you respond if you observe all the hadith on embryology? You must read all of them. One hadith will clarify the other hadith. This is a law, a law which the scholars mentioned that you cannot take one hadith isolated in isolation. You must understand each hadith in context of all the other hadith and as well as the verses of the Quran. A final uh, point to touch on is Qissatul Gharaniq. Qissatul Gharaniq is um, a story attributed that in the Makkah period, the shaitan placed certain verses on the tongue of the Holy Prophet This is, is of course a lie, but people quote this Qissatul Gharaniq. To say there are satanic verses in the Quran, how do Muslims respond to this? Firstly, this narration is only found in one work. Everyone else copies from this work, which is the tafsir of Ibn Jarir al Tabari, an early commentator of the Quran. And the narration revolves around one companion, Sayyiduna Abdullah bin Abbas radiallahu anhumah. The question would be, if this event had taken place, why would a young companion like Abdullah bin Abbas who was not even born at that time, and if he was born, he was a small child, be the only one to have narrated this if supposedly hundreds of people were present? Secondly, the narrators that narrate this from Abdullah bin Abbas, the chain of narration is Muhammad bin As-Sa'ib, 
Al-Kalbi and Abi Salih and Ibn Abbas. Um, the narration also contains Muhammad bin Marwan al-Suddi. And these are forgers. So they are people who forged hadith. So the question is why did Ibn Jarir al-Tabari place such a narration in his work? The response is that the reason for placing this is he mentioned by him in his muqaddimah that he left the chains of narration for scholars to check after because his purpose, the purpose of his book was to compile everything that was related to that verse whether it was a forgery or authentic or acceptable. So he left narrations with the chain of narration so people can check those narrations later. And all the commentators who are reliable after him like Al-Imam Al-Qurtubi, Ibn Kathir and multiple others all rejected the narration. So sometimes what people do in debates is bring out these forged narrations like the forged narration that Sayyidina Umar had the library of Alexandria burnt. There is a narration which Christians quote, they say that Umar ordered the conquerors of Egypt, Amr ibn al-As to burn the entire contents of the library of Alexandria. But this narration attributed to Sayyiduna Umar was recorded 600 years after the lifetime of Sayyiduna Umar with no chain of narration. So there are so many things which are cited that need verification or sometimes understanding. Sometimes a person's understanding of those texts may be uh, warped and they may not understand the very meaning of those uh, verses or a hadith of uh, the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Here I finished my lecture so we will open up inshallah for uh, questions and answers. If anyone has any questions you can just ask it right now. If The question is that some narrations would mention that the Mus'haf, the volume of a companion, left at Mu'awwidhatayn. Mu'awwidhatayn is a Surah Al-Falaq and Surah Al-Nas. So they will say a narration, for instance, in the Musnad of Imam Ahmad, that the Mus'haf of Abdullah bin Mas'ud did not have Surah Al-Falaq and Surah Al-Nas. Based on this narration, they will say, look, the Quran com compilations of different companions had different segments of the Quran missing. How do we respond to this? We respond to this in three ways. Number one, the transmission of the Qur'an is from these very same companions. So the Qur'an is not only the written compilation, it is also the compilation memorized from generation to generation. When we check the chains of transmission, our chains of transmission go back to companions like Abdullah bin Mas'ud with the Mu'awwidhatayn contained within that transmission. So all the companions of Abdullah bin Mas'ud who memorized the Qur'an with him, they all narrate the Mu'awwidhatayn as being a part of the Qur'an. Secondly, the hadith 
that is cited is Khabrul Ahad, meaning it's narrated by one person or two people. Therefore, when you have one person narrating something and dozens of other people narrating something else, we know that there is a reason for Sayyidina Abdullah bin Mas'ud leaving out the Mu'awwid attain from his written copy of the Qur'an. The reason becomes obvious when you also read the narration that he left out Al-Fatiha from the Qur'an. Why did he leave out Al-Fatiha? Because this was memorized by everyone and recited in the five daily prayers. Like this, the Mu'awwid attain is commonly recited by people for protection. So therefore his written copy not containing the Mu'awwid attain or not containing Al-Fatiha does not mean there is a discrepancy within the transmission of the Qur'an. Is that clear? Um, I understand that there are some groups within the Muslim Ummah who have differences of opinion and it can cause a lot of confusion people without knowledge um, and I came across something I'd like to see if you can confirm if it's true and if you can shed any light on it what that is is there's certain groups um, who are portraying their version of Islam and knowledge and if one seeks the chain of their narration um, it will only go back as far as for example somebody like Ibn Taymiyyah <coughs> so is this true that there are some present-day Muslim people who are making claims that they are from the Sunnah and if you look into it deeply enough, you'll find that their chain doesn't go back to Rasulullah but it will stop and it will cease at a certain place, like with Ibn Taymiyyah, for example. Uh, the question is regarding Muslim division and groups, that we have m multiple groups within the Muslim Ummah. Because the, the subject of today is the Qur'an, so we will firstly look at your question from the aspect of the Qur'an. All of these groups agree upon the Qur'an. Even the Shia Imamiyah, which are the Twelvers in Iran today, they have published works condemning anyone who states that the Qur'an is tampered. So all the different divergent sects you have within Islam all agree upon the compilation of the Qur'an. Even those groups which have been anathematized, declared disbelievers, like the Qadiyaniyah, who are not Muslims, but a sect which started in India, they also believe in the compilation of the Qur'an and that the Qur'an is not tampered. What your question refers to is not exactly the Qur'an or the Mutawatir Hadith, but would relate to creed. How does one approach the understanding of the Qur'an and does this understanding have a chain going back to the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam amongst the Muslim sects you have the Imamiya Shia which are the those who claim that their chain goes back to the Alul Bayt 
the family of the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. Then you would have the Ahl Sunnati wal Jama'ah, which would consist of Al Ashaira and Al Maturidiya. But what you are specifically asking is regarding those groups that attribute themselves to Ahmad bin Taymiyyah, Abu Abbas Ahmad bin Taymiyyah from Damascus. Ahmad bin Taymiyyah is one scholar of many, but he has works like his Majmu' al-Fatawa, where he has specific understandings regarding what the Salaf believed. So even Ahmad bin Taymiyyah would not claim that he has his own understanding of the Qur'an and the Sunnah. He would claim that his understanding of the Qur'an and the Sunnah is actually from a Salaf al-Salihun. So the, therefore we have the division of the Salafi movement. Today you have the Salafi movement. The main proponents of the Salafi movement in the modern era, you have a Sheikh Nasruddin al-Albani, a Sheikh Abdul Aziz bin Baz, a Sheikh Salih al-Uthaymin, a Sheikh Salih al-Fawzan. These are scholars based within Saudi Arabia. They would not claim to follow Ibn Taymiyyah in all these positions. For instance, Ibn Taymiyyah believed uh, or is attributed to him Fana'un-Nar, which is the extinguishing of hellfire. This is attributed to him. Um, Al-Imam Subki wrote a refutation of him called Al-Durratul-Mudi'a But his student Ibn Qayyim wrote a book called Hadi al-Arwah in which he claims this. So these scholars today who follow some of the views of Ibn Taymiyyah or the, the, we would say the hermeneutics of Ibn Taymiyyah, they do not claim that their chain goes only back to Ibn Taymiyyah, they claim that their chain goes back to a Salafu Salihun, the pious predecessors. Now where the debate between this group and the, what is known as the Asha'ira and Maturidiyah, which are the two main uh, followers of the four schools of thought goes down to the names and attributes of Allah is to which of these two groups is actually on the way of the Salaf. So they, they, they have these debates written in books which you can even read in English. Both groups would claim that their understanding is from a Salafu Salihun. But our subject is not that today. Our subject is the Quran. All of these groups agree that the Quran is preserved and intact. What your question would relate to is how do they approach in understanding the Quran? So it goes back to uh, heresiology, meaning understanding the different divergent sects and who became heretics from the Mu'tazila and the Qadariya and the Karamiya, all these different sects. None of them would claim that their understanding is not the understanding of the companions Ali Muridwan. This question is relating to the dispute that they have regarding Bismillah Rahman Rahim. None of the scholars said that Bismillah is not a part of the Quran. They all agreed that it is a part of the Quran. Al Imam Shafi'i radiallahu an counted it as a verse of every chapter. With the exception of which chapter? 
Suratul Tawbah. So Al-Imam Shafi'i radiallahu an counted it as a verse. While other scholars said it is a divider for each chapter of the Quran. So their dispute was not whether Quran, whether the Bismillah is a part of the Quran or not. They all agreed it is a part of the Quran. It was how they counted the Bismillah within the counting of the verses of each chapter or whether it was a divider of each chapter of the Quran. question is that in Bukhari and Muslim there are hadith which mention Sayyiduna Umar an stating that the stoning for the adultery uh, in the future will be removed by people. If you actually go back to those narrations, Sayyiduna Umar an is not talking about the removal of a verse but the removal of the actual punishment meaning people amongst the Muslims will reject the punishment for the adultery because they do not find the verse in the Quran. If you go back to the narration, he mentions the rejection of the punishment because the punishment of an adultery being stoned is not mentioned in the Quran. It is from the Hadith. Yes, there is a, a narration relating to Mansukh, which is an abrogation because Abrogated verses are divided into Mansukh al-Qira'ah and Mansukh al-Hukm. Mansukh al-Qira'ah is where the recitation of the verse is abrogated. Recitation of the judgment is where the judgment is abrogated. Now someone may say, if this was a verse of the Qur'an, why was it abrogated? Why was its recitation abrogated from the Qur'an? We respond to this by saying, the firstly, these are all Khabrul Ahad. So there are scholars who debated this. They said whether this took place or not. There are some scholars who, who deny Mansukh al-Qira'ah. They say uh, this did not take place and is a mistake of the narrator because it is only narrated by one person. But even if we were to accept, like we stated beforehand, the Qur'an was memorized and written down in the lifetime of the Messenger of Allah An official copy written down in the lifetime of Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq And then official state copies disseminated within the lifetime of Sayyidina Uthman in the presence of over 100,000 companions. So how can one narration contradict the eyewitnessing of over 100,000 people? Secondly, Sayyidina Umar was one of those people involved in the compilation of Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq And we know that Sayyidina Abu Bakr Siddiq did not have verses of stoning placed within the compilation of the Qur'an. 
So the statement of Sayyidina Umar عنه, refers to the actual punishment being rejected by a group in the future because they do not find it in Al-Quran Al-Kareem. Uh, written questions, are they? All right. There's also a narration of Tim Tim Sunan in the Mandela. Sayyidina Asha radiallahu anha and the goat that ate it, and they say it was lost. Uh, the brother asked a question regarding narration in the Sunan of Ibn Majah that a goat ate some verses of the Quran. How do we respond to this? The report is Khabrul Ahad. So again, a Khabrul Ahad cannot contradict mass transmission. Whenever a verse of the Quran was revealed, hundreds of companions would memorize that verse and multiple companions would write down that verse. So if one goat ate a verse which would not be believable because the Quran was written on slates of stone, on bones, flat bones, on the barks of trees. So this narration again, um, uh, the chain must be investigated. And even if we believe that the chain is truthful, and the narration is truthful by a goat eating a piece of paper or uh, a bark of a tree this cannot make the Quran lost because thousands of people had memorized it so these solitary narrations again uh, what the orientalists do is that they compile all these solitary narrations and then place doubts in the heart of people in order to say that the Quran has actually been tampered with. You know, after the Prophet left, passed away, what is the timeline between the Prophet passing away and the first Quran being compiled in terms of years? Uh, the question is regarding the timeline. After the Prophet passed away, within a year, the Quran was written down by Sayyiduna Abu Bakr Siddiq because his caliphate was only two years. His caliphate was only two years. And if we, uh, if we look at the caliphate of Sayyidina Uthman an, then the compilation of Sayyidina Uthman an was done between 12 to 18 years after the passing away of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. 12 to 18 at the most. Even if we say 18 years, which is a maximum number of time, how many people had memorized the Qur'an? Thousands of people had actually memorized the Qur'an. So there is no way that tampering could have occurred. And this is why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala states, That we revealed this remembrance of dhikra and we will surely preserve it. Are there any other questions before we move on to the written uh, questions? One more question. Some Christians say that since the Quran came after the Bible, it has the burden of proof and um, the Bible should affirm it. What do we say to you? Uh, like I said previously, the question is regarding the Bible that the Bible must affirm the Quran. In this way, we could say to the Christians that the Jews claim that the Old Testament does not affirm the New Testament. So, 
the Jews reject Sayyiduna Isa alayhi salam. Their rejection of Sayyiduna Isa alayhi salam is considered disbelief. The Christians reject Sayyiduna Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Their rejection of Sayyiduna Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam is also disbelief. Regarding the Bible, we Muslims will say that the Bible has been tampered. What is the difference between the Bible and the Quran in this regard? What the Quran states regarding the previous revelations is that the pre, the Jews, the rabbis of the Jews, and the priests were commanded to preserve their holy books. When they were commanded to preserve their holy books, they decided to tamper verses in order to attain worldly benefits. The Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala himself has guaranteed its preservation. Even though Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will create asbab, means by which the Quran is preserved, which are the means of memorizers of the Quran. Not that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala needs those means, but this is the way Sunnatullah will come. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created those means in order to preserve the Quran. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has guaranteed the preservation of the Quran. Therefore, the Quran has informed us that Sayyidina Isa salam said, That I give you glad tidings of a messenger that shall come after me. Min ba'di, ismuhu Ahmad, his name shall be Ahmad. And we know regarding the discussion in the New Testament, the, the verses which mention the name Ahmad and how they were tampered from, remember which language did Sayyidina Isa salam speak? Aramaic. So from Aramaic, the Bible that we have today with us is translated from Greek. So how many, how many meanings are changed in translation? While the Qur'an is still preserved in the original tongue that it was revealed upon, upon the heart of the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So, so many things are lost in translation. So we do not accept that the previous revelations did not confirm the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. No, we say that the previous revelations were tampered and such tampering did not occur with the Qur'an. Uh, questions here, there are two questions. One is could you explain where the Quran explains that a man can have sex with female captives, a woman which the right hand possesses? This uh, particular um, in the Quran, uh, this particular verse is a favorite quotation of uh, Nick Griffin and other members of uh, far-right groups as well as Zionists. How do we respond to this um, claim regarding the Qur'an? The Qur'an was revealed in a time where slavery was prevalent. 
The Qur'an was revealed in a time where slavery was prevalent. The Qur'an did not legislate slavery. There is a difference between the two. Slavery was prevalent amongst Arabs and non-Arabs. In that context, the Qur'an was revealed. So any verses relating to slavery within the Qur'an must be taken into context that those verses of slavery were revealed for people who were entrenched, engrossed in slavery. This does not mean that the Qur'an was legislating slavery for them. Secondly, when these verses were revealed, those women that were taken as captives, does this mean that the men were given the legal right to rape women? The answer is no. The, these verses were meant to be consensual. That if there is consensual intercourse between a man and the woman who was in his captivity, by the way, what, what does the verse relating to captivity mean? Does it mean that they were bound in chains and beaten? No, because when the Quran was revealed, what did the Messenger of Allah order the people? You have no right to beat your slaves. Your slaves must wear the same clothes as you. They must be given the same food as you. These rights were given. If you break an oath, you must free a slave. If you miss a fast, you must. If you kill someone by accident, you must free. If you kill someone in manslaughter, you must free a slave. So the Messenger of Allah placed ways of emancipating slaves, giving them freedom. This is why in books of jurisprudence to this day, you do not find a book of slavery. You find books of emancipating slaves, meaning freeing slaves. So the, these verses of the Quran were revealed in a context where Arabs were engrossed in slavery and the, and the Quran stated that if you have intercourse with your slave, consensual sex, not rape, not forced sex, then this would, would not be considered as fornication. This would not be considered as fornication. When that slave woman, by the way, the name of a slave in Arabic is a raqiq. They were referred to as a raqiq. Why they referred to as a raqiq? This is from riq. Riq means slavery, but what does the word originally mean to be soft? Because the slave master was ordered to be soft with those people in his captivity. They had taken them captives from the time of jahiliyyah, from the time of ignorance. So the Qur'an gave them rights. And if the slave woman became pregnant, the command of the Qur'an is that she no longer become, is a slave woman. She is set free. So there are so many intricacies involved with regard to these verses of slavery found in the Qur'an, which obviously within a 10-minute segment, a news night, or a 10-minute segment of uh, any talk show, uh, Nick Griffin or anyone else would play, uh, recite these verses but not give a true context to those verses. Similarly, verses in the Bible which relate to slavery are, are also similar. 
even though in the Bible there are verses which are really cited today um, amongst Christian groups because those verses are very extreme like the killing of captives but there is no such verse in the Quran which mentions killing of captives killing of women killing of children and animals no such verses are found in the Quran but such verses are found Christians respond by saying those verses are found in the Old Testament but we would say if the Old Testament you believe is untampered and is still a revelation of God the same God is ordering people to kill women children and captives but no such verses are found in Al-Quran Al-Kareem yet these verses of slavery are, are quoted out of context uh, there are two questions here that inshallah uh, we will address in future seminars there's one relating to a verse in Surah An-Nisa on women and another question regarding the study Quran but uh, inshallah in future seminars uh, I will cover these questions Jazallahu anna Sayyidina Muhammadan sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam amahu ahlu Jazallahu anna Sayyidina Muhammadan sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam amahu ahlu Jazallahu anna Sayyidina Muhammadan sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam amahu ahlu Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifun Wa salamun ala al-mursaleen Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen